We're about to sing the song, Holy, 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 and we want to read from Isaiah 6. In Isaiah 6, the prophet Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. When Isaiah saw the magnitude and holiness of God Almighty, he became aware of his sinfulness in an acute way, but he also knew the mercy and grace of cleansing that came only from God. And so as we sing this song, uh, we want to pray that God would make us a people who see God's holiness and then respond as Isaiah did. Here I am. Send me, Lord. Use me for your purposes. So let's sing this together.
Please remain standing with me as we uh, read from 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 26. 2 Timothy 2, beginning with verse 20. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the, de of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. You may be seated. This morning as we uh, pray, we're also going to be remembering to pray for Fali Ravongi. He uh, ministers in Madagascar, helping to teach men to be pastors and leaders in the church. And of course, I also want to remind everyone that there are only 16 days left before the missions course begins, so you have time to sign up. Um, it's going to be a great time. It's only six weeks, 6.30 to 8.30 on Tuesdays. It will give us all an opportunity to really get a sense of God's heart for the nations, calling nations to himself for his glory, and how each one of us can have a part and a role in that plan. So I'm uh, hoping and encouraging all of you to come and join me there. Let us pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, you alone are worthy of all honor, praise, glory, majesty, and dominion. You alone are good. There is none beside you. You are the creator of heaven and earth and all that there is. You sustain all life and hold everything together. You've determined the number of our days and you have preserved your people. We rejoice that we can come together this morning and worship you. I confess, Lord, that too often we lose or forget that joy of our salvation. We go through life thinking that maybe we can handle it all. We've got the ability. We only look to you when we are in need. Our pride makes us rebellious. rebellious. Please forgive us. Father, we are people who keep turning back to that which does not satisfy and do the things that we don't want to do. We neglect and fail to do that which we desire to do and that which we know pleases you. Our sin becomes attractive to us, and we let it dull our desire for you. Forgive us. Restore us to the joy of our salvation. Thank you that you are the one who satisfies our every need. You give us strength when we are tired. You give us power when we are weak. When we are burdened with the cares of life, you take our yoke upon yourself and give us rest. Thank you that you have done this and so much more. You've restored a right relationship with you. You have given us a new heart, a new family, the church, a place and a purpose in your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us the privilege of proclaiming your glory to the nations. We ask you, Lord, that you would give us 
humble boldness in proclaiming the truth and the beauty of your gospel to our families, to those in our neighborhoods, and throughout the nation and the world. We humbly ask, Jesus, that you heal those who are sick today, those sick in body and soul. We ask for um, comfort for those who are grieving. We ask that you would bring your Holy Spirit to bear in all of the, the trials of life. Father, we rejoice that we are able to partner in the gospel with folly. We pray that you'd bless his effort in training men as pastors and leaders in the church. We pray for his marriage and his family and ask that you keep him pure and strong so that nothing would distract from your gospel message. Lord, we pray for the work of the gospel in Madagascar and here at Grace Orange. We pray that those who are here this morning would hear your gospel and respond. We pray that you would be transforming lives far and near and calling all who you have elected to come to believing faith today. We pray this in the name of Jesus and for his honor and glory. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing his mercy is more? Praise the Lord, his mercy is more, stronger than darkness, still every morn, our sins they are many, his mercy is Beneath a death we could never 
sins they are many, His mercy is more. Father, we thank you that your mercy is greater than all of our sin. Thank you that Jesus Christ is the Savior to sinners, the one who loves the unworthy and undeserving and unlovely. We're so grateful, Lord. Thank you that you have overwhelmed all of our sin with your grace. We pray that your grace would come to us uh, in a fresh way this morning through your word, that you would remind us of the gospel, that you would open our heart to receive your word as you come and speak to us. Lord, would you humble us, and you would you make us people who would be eager to submit ourselves to you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So picture this, you come to faith in Christ, you join Grace Church, you dive into the life of the church, you make friends, you spend time together, you enjoy fellowship and ministry, uh, you support each other, you pray, you share your life, you build trust, experience true community, but then one day, one day you realize something is changing almost imperceptibly. The friend is pulling back, they're drifting away, they they stop showing up. They won't return your texts. And then you find out they're questioning the Bible. You try to help. They say you don't understand. Some kind of wall goes up and any former openness is gone. And then they say flat out, I've left the faith. I no longer consider myself a Christian. I don't believe the Bible. And I feel freer than ever. The shackles are gone. They've swerved from the truth. They've upset even others' faith. And it happened in the first century, and it happens today. In fact, it's become quite the popular movement. They call it deconversion and deconstruction, and people call themselves ex-evangelicals, and there's a whole range of responses. Some people leave Christianity completely. Some land in anti-Bible, very liberal churches, creating their own version of Christianity, not based on the gospel. They deny the Bible. They deny the character and nature of God. And they give every excuse except that they have made the moral choice to reject the truth, that they chose sin over Christ. They say, no, I'm reframing things. No, I'm reimagining things. They can find a lot of people that would agree with them, even in the context of a church, what might be called a church. Someone might call it a church. God calls it swerving from the faith. No knowledge of the truth. And you hurt deeply over it when this happens. You wonder, you wonder what went wrong. What could I have done differently? Did I do something wrong? What did I miss? Did I do everything I could? Why did this person leave the faith? So today I'm preaching 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, to chapter 4, verse 5, swerving and upset when someone you love leaves the faith. And with this large swath of scripture, we're going to find out what it tells us about how to respond when someone you love leaves the faith. It's a tough question. It's one that tears at our hearts. In this letter, 2 Timothy, Paul is telling Timothy how to guide the church. 
to a healthy love of the truth, even when some oppose it. Even though there'll be a lot of people opposing it. And he starts in chapter 1, verse 1, and says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. It's all about Jesus, all about the gospel, all about the truth, all about salvation. He's saying how he serves God with a clear conscience, keeps remembering Timothy's sincere faith that first was in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And he's telling Timothy, you continue on in the faith no matter if people leave it. Uh, You do it by the indwelling Holy Spirit. You guard the good deposit. You pass the word of God on to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. But battles will come. And he says to him, you must be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ. We saw this several weeks ago. Remember Jesus Christ. And then rightly handle the word of God. And even while you're navigating treacherous, reckless people who are working against it. What this letter keeps giving is a contrast between right and wrong. Between people who are doing what God says and people who are not. And this letter has Jesus central and He cannot deny himself, and he is faithful, and and you need to remember this when time gets tough, uh, when people argue and question the word of God, that you rightly handle the word of truth. It glorifies God. It strengthens the church. It gives the world what it really needs. You need to accept and approach the word of God, take it as truth, and handle it with great care, and the world needs to see every Christian's security in Christ and their confidence and even loving engagement with other people. We even saw in chapter 2, verse 19, how do you know if someone's faith that they profess is real? It tells us only God knows those who belong to him. And you know if someone who says they follow Jesus is real, if they're repenting of their sins, if they're confessing their sins, if they're relying on Jesus and the word of God. In 1 Timothy 4.1, he also told him this, There will come a day when some will depart from the faith and listen to doctrines of demons. We want to say, oh, no, they were hurt by the church. Oh, no, they they had a lot of things going on in their life. And we make every excuse, but we don't say what the Bible says. They're listening to doctrines of demons. The, the, The devil is the father of lies. They didn't have a solid grasp of the truth. And you have friends and family members that are going through this. They've either left or pulled away or they're presenting startling views that are not in line with biblical truth. And they might even say they're a believer. But their words and their actions are telling you otherwise. And you hear all the excuses. The Bible is inconsistent, they say. It's not reliable. It contradicts itself. They say, I can't love a God that doesn't save people from illness or love all choices. They know that someone or they have been hurt by the church, and they say Christians are hypocritical. They say the gospel is too conditional. It's too high of a cost. They say God is not good, that they don't need God anymore, and they they find ways to no longer believe. People get convinced of a lot of things by a lot of convincing-sounding arguments in the world in an atheistic culture. They get drawn away. They even get drawn into things, and they get deceived. And they start saying things like, if God is love, how could he send anyone to hell? Or how could he let a baby die? Well, they'll say Christianity isn't appealing because of how, how Christians act. Well, Christianity is not defined by its adherents. 
And yet Romans 2.24 tells us, and we read these words, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That's what it says. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What does that mean? What was it referring to? First, to the Jews of Rome during Paul's day who had turned their backs on God, who had sunk into every kind of sin. So Christian, if, if you're not departing from iniquity, if you're not living a life of repentance, if you're not pleasing God, you're not going to be a good witness. And you should never use this as an excuse. But your bad behavior doesn't send anyone to hell. No one goes to hell because of you. They go by their own choice. And every believer's heart aches for those who don't know Jesus. And heavy on your heart are those who have once professed faith in Christ and now say they don't believe. They've left the faith. Some ran as fast as they could. Some seemed to just wander or drift away and you hardly even noticed. But in their life now, there's no sign of life. Only God knows. But you wonder, why did they leave? Are they saved? Can I bring them back? You know, what part could I play? I have this persistent, nagging feeling. I think of those I love that have left the faith that I could have done something more. And oftentimes we get conditioned to think let them go, don't, don't, don't go after them too much because you might push them further into their, into their error. Well, they're not coming back. They left. They're not coming back by us doing nothing. Also, we, we tend to favor victimhood over personal responsibility. We choose the victim route or total blame even. But the Bible gives a different picture to us without ignoring the fact that people do egregious things to other people. And God sees everything. He's the judge. But most of the time when I've seen people leave the faith, they've been treated with the utmost respect. And there are many people in the mix giving them a lot of attention, trying to help them. And still they leave. And still they blame And the question remains, why? And we need to let the Holy Spirit via 2 Timothy today pave the way. Let the word of God shape our heart and our response. Trust the Lord to lead and guide us as we dive into this. Like, what do we do? Here's the question. What do we do to love and help those who have left the faith? Those we love that have left the faith. And, And 2 Timothy gives us a bit of a roadmap. And the idea is this, that if you want to love and help those who have left the faith... You must communicate truth, confront error, and continue in the faith. You must carefully communicate the truth and cautiously confront error and then courageously continue in the faith. And so we'll look first at this idea of carefully communicating the truth. If you want to help, you want to love those that have gone astray, you need to know the truth and be able to communicate it. And by the way, we're not just looking at Uh, starting at chapter 2, verse 20. We're going to go all the way back to chapter 2, verse 14. Let's take as many verses as we can today, all right? So look at with me. We've been there before, but chapter 2, verse 14, speaking of rightly handling the word of God and guarding against error and knowing that God knows all. 
Verse 14, put your eye there. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good. It only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, you know, basically the unholy assertions, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And verse 17 says their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. God does not mind naming names. We're afraid to name names. God isn't. He says, these two have swerved from the truth, gone astray, you know, missed the mark, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Literally, they are overturning or destroying the faith of some. But verse 19 gives us the assurance God's firm foundation stands we have two quotes from number 16. Bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. God knows if you're a Christian or not. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Be, be living a repentant lifestyle. And there was another time that Paul used the term swerved. In 1 Timothy 1, and starting at verse 3, he says this to Timothy. He says, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that, and here's the reason, that you would charge certain persons not to teach different doctrine and devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than, this is what you want, the stewardship from God that is by faith. You hold the word of God accurately. He says, the, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. But he says in verse 6, certain people have, have swerved from these and have wandered away into vain discussion. They desire to be teachers of the law. They are without understanding about what they're saying or about the things which they make confident assertions. They've pierced themselves with many a pang. I mean, think with me for a moment. If someone was swerving, you're on the road, let's say you leave, you leave church today, and you're on the road, and you're driving home, and, and someone is swerving, you're either going to say, i got to go really fast and get out of their way, or go really slow and get out of their way, but you're going to get out of their way. But what if they're swerving, and you are a passenger? I mean, you could say, Jesus, take the wheel, but I'm taking the wheel. <laughs> if I'm in there, I'm taking the wheel, trusting Jesus. You know, rust and mold, things we deal with in life that we don't like. Rust and mold. Something gets rusty, it gets spoiled, it gets moldy, and it upsets things, right? A lot of things get introduced into an environment, can ruin some things. Things are getting rusty, get it out of the rain. Or, you know, the bread got moldy, let's eat it quicker, or what have, what have you. But you need to take harmful elements out of the way. And by the way, what if someone ingests poison? Do you say, you know, tell me about it. Tell me about the poison. Please, tell me about the poison. I would love to hear about your poison. No, you flush them with water or milk or whatever you do. You don't give them more poison. You don't let them seep in their poison. You give them what is good and help, and help them to stay away from what is bad. Even if they're eating the poison, you say, stop it. And this idea is that you have to have a solid grasp of the truth of God, hold it firmly so that you can help. That you hold it firmly with the church. You don't say, I'm an independent contractor and I know better than everybody else and I don't need the church. No, you, you hold the word of God firmly with the church. You live what you believe. The world needs to see us living what we say we believe. Together. 
The world is like a riptide, and it disorients you, and you need a soul anchor. You don't need just a tether or a leash. You need the most powerful force on earth. You need the Holy Spirit using the Word of God. I mean, here's how it goes. So many times this happens. Those who leave the faith are so insistent that they are right that you start to question yourself, don't you? You get disoriented about it. Well, it's a good thing that Jesus and the word can handle it. Any question. He's strong. He's powerful. And what the church needs to do, we need to give maximum care to each other. We need to care for each other, look after each other, let no one slip through the cracks and not know the word of God. By the way, the jury is out on every person who says they're a Christian. That someone who professes faith is not necessarily a possessor of faith. That you want assurance of salvation, not flippancy. Randy Alcorn wrote in his book, If God is Good, he said, A faith that leaves you unprepared for suffering is a false faith that deserves to be lost. John Piper observed, Wimpy worldviews make wimpy Christians, and wimpy Christians won't survive the days ahead. I realize I have to be sensitive in how I say things like this. You need to get stronger biblically, okay? But I know there are so many people who are so tender conscience, they're like, oh, maybe I'm not a Christian. Okay, calm down. If you're repenting, you're real. All right, if you're, if you're, if you're departing from iniquity, if you love Jesus and you obey the word and, you're in, and, and you, 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 you trip and fall, but you get up and you walk in repentance, you're real. As you cling to Christ, as you cling to Scripture, you communicate it well. You have to carefully communicate the truth. Then we get up to verse 20 now. Verse 20, and we'll go all the way to chapter 3, verse 10 here with the second point that you need to cautiously confront error. You need to, you need to carefully communicate the truth, but then you need to cautiously confront error. You know, be ready to accept repentance when it happens. And be ready to reject dis- disobedience when it happens. We're so easy on people. We're so easy on ourselves. With the poison, oh, you know, it's going to be all right. Be warmed and filled. When they're filled with poison, what do you do? Look at verse 20. Put your eyes on verse 20. Now, in a great house, it's picturing the church, picturing the gathered church uh, filled with believers and unbelievers, uh, and God knows those who are his. It says, in a a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Verse 21, if anyone cleanses himself... From what is dishonorable, okay, cleanses. You know, you wash out a dirty bucket, you kind of have to keep rinsing, right? Purging, no filth. Uh, he will be a, a vessel for honorable use, which is idea of uh, set apart for God's use. There you're being made holy, you're, you're, you're being sanctified. You're useful to the master of the house, it says, and ready for every good work. You're ready, you can do it. But it says in verse 22, though, flee, if you want to do that, you have to flee youthful passions, flee youthful lusts. And by the way, you can be really old and still be battling youthful passions. Just ask any old person in the room, including me. Wrong sexual desires, pride, coveting, greed, power, gluttony, gossip, envy, and the list goes on, folks. And it says to flee these strong desires, it's a present imperative calling for a continual action of your will, a habit of your life. And it says don't don't go after that. No, instead pursue this. Chase this down. Righteousness, faith, love, peace. 
along with, and this is with the church here, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Who do you call on? The Lord, the master, the absolute ruler, the one with absolute ownership and uncontrolled power over you, Christian. And it says, it goes deeper, have nothing to do with. Foolish, ignorant controversies, disputes, strife. This is now the third warning to avoid useless arguments. In fact, um, kids, you know, stop your ears for just a moment, but foolish, ignorant controversies literally uh, translated as stupid. Without discipline, without training, uninstructed, uneducated, You're questioning, speculating all the time. And it says refuse that because it just causes fights. You know they breed quarrel. That doesn't, you know what most people say? Oh, doctrine divides. Sure, it divides those who believe it and those who don't. But useless quarrels, they breed bad stuff. Biblical doctrine doesn't breed bad stuff. It's good stuff and those who don't want it don't like it. Quarrels, that that idea is a fight. It's hand-to-hand combat. You're just fighting all the time with the war of words. James 4 says, what causes quarrels? You want something and do not have it. You have the constant selfish back and forth. But it says this. It says, the Lord's servant, Paul tells Timothy, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, skilled in teaching, patiently enduring evil, which doesn't mean you agree with evil. It's the idea that you have a higher purpose for putting up with it. You look for an opening to lovingly and firmly correct because this is what it says. It goes on and says, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Kindly, patiently correcting those who oppose the truth. And to do it, it says in verse 25, meekness, gentleness, submissiveness. It's the humble, gentle attitude. You forbear, you don't get offended You're free from malice. You don't want to have revenge. Why? Why? Look at verse 25. That God may perhaps, I love this. God might do this. You have no guarantee. Only God knows what he will do. But you need to be patient as you correct. That perhaps a change of heart and mind will appear, will happen, that God may grant them. God gives repentance. By his kindness, he grants repentance. God in his kindness gives repentance. Uh, May God grant them repentance leading to, this is the good stuff, a knowledge of the truth, and that they would come to their senses. You know what that means? They sober up. They wake up. They were intoxicated by false ideas. They were intoxic. I'm making the babies cry now. Um, they were intoxic. I will, I will bring it down. I love babies in the service. They're intoxicated by evil. It says here that God may grant repentance. That they would recognize and acknowledge the truth. And what does it say? You know, I love how the Bible says stuff that we're afraid to say. And we say, no, 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 they were hurt by someone in the church. Oh, no, 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 they did all this study and found out the Bible's not really true, and, you know, they get their own opinion. No, 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 let me see what the Bible says. Would you like to look at it with me? Verse 26. Why would they need repentance if everything was fine, it was, everything was up for grabs? 
Why would they need this? Here it is, verse 26, that they may escape from the snare of the devil. I wouldn't suggest going up to your friend who's left the faith, you haven't seen him in two years, and go, hey, by the way, you are in the snare of the devil. Don't text that right now. Start out with, how are you doing? It's been a long time. But if you never get to this, you're not telling them the truth. Oh, you know what? I know those Christians are so bad. Not me, not me, not me. But all those other Christians, oh, I know. They're just so hypocritical. Or, yeah, the Bible is so tough, you know. You don't have to worry about that part. The reason they left the faith is because they are in the snare of the devil, and it says they've been captured by him to do his will. Literally, they're held captive. They're a prisoner of war. Why would God, when God grants you repentance, he saved your soul from the snare of the devil. That's what you're praying that will happen for your friend who left the faith. Satan's trap is deception. He sells lies. We want to say, well, no, 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 it's just all these other things. Well, sure, that's all, that's all other things that aren't necessarily untrue. They're just not the reason. We're not ignorant of Satan's schemes. It's like a, it's like a poisonous spider, like a venomous snake. Numbs the conscience and confuses the senses and paralyzes the will so that the person starts saying things that when they were in their right mind they would never have said. And now they believe them with all their being. And you know it, you hear it. You dive into chapter 3, verse 1, just keeps on going. Here it is, it's a flow. But understand this in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Welcome to the club. The world fights against truth. The last days, the time since Christ's first coming. You have to recognize something, that this is how it's going to be. It's going to get difficult and dangerous. And there'll be outside dangers and internal turmoil. And, and it, it tells us what will characterize people in the period between Christ's ascension and his return. And the times will be perilous, savage, dangerous, increasing in frequency and severity until Christ's return. And I know you want to go have fun at an amusement park this afternoon, but you need to listen to this. I know we want to have fun. And life is, is joyful and great. And if you have great plans today, don't, don't break them. But this is the truth about those who have left the faith. The one who burdens you, the one that you've stayed awake at night praying for. The one you've pled with. The one you've shared Bible verse after Bible verse with. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant. They'll be money-loving braggers, boasters, loving accomplishments, trespassing against the truth, magnifying themselves, trying to impress. They'll be abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, irreconcilable, the greed gives no truce. They'll be uncivilized, savage, slanderous, without self-control. This will characterize people in the days in which we live. They will have no self-control, no power to govern their tongue or their appetite or anything about their life. They will be self-absorbed and self-centered in their passions. They will live for themselves. They're brutal, not loving good, treacherous, which means to be a traitor and abandon others in danger. Reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This ungoverned heart that just desires are running wild. And there's this constant feeding on the things of the world. Like the person that just eats the worst foods 
over and over and over again just grows unhealthier. Or if you build a house with cardboard and it rains, you wonder why it caved in. And it says here, this might be the most sobering thing. Having the appearance of godliness. Verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness. But denying its power. Oh, so they look like they're godly. But they're denying the power of God. Okay, well, time out. Wait, wait a minute. So not all outsiders? No, over and over again, it, it says in the New Testament that people will infiltrate the church and, and they're going to take others with them. It says here, among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. They take captive, literally at spear point, spiritually speaking, a prisoner of war and get complete possession of someone with their ideas. People who are burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They listen to people and their mind becomes so fickle and warped, they're incapable of grasping the truth. And then God names the names again, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. These oppose the truth. They're corrupted in their minds. They're disqualified regarding the faith. They're opposing. There's a high-level hostility. They're totally corrupt and ruined and perverted and depraved and rejected and disqualified. It's like moldy cheese. Not, not blue cheese. Moldy cheese that just isn't supposed to be. And bread that gets moldy in your pantry. And you're like, what happened? or rancid butter, or rancid milk. Throw it out. And shame defines their, their misrepresentation of God, and they're submitted to themselves and not Scripture, and they're telling you that the church was wrong. And Paul says they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all. I like to say people have eyes and ears. Things work themselves out. And he says this is the folly was evident. No more progress. They won't get very far. It will become evident to everyone. And we don't like to name names. Janice and Jammers and Hymenaeus and all of them. God names names. Who do you think of? Not, not verbally, just in your mind. Who do you think of? Who do you think of? You've got family members that you ache over. Friends and maybe even a former church member. And I uh, oftentimes have prayed and, you know, this is what we know. They're either Peter they're like Peter who went astray and repented and, and Jesus brought him back or like Judas who never knew him. And by the way, some people you know, are naturally inquisitive. They ask questions and sometimes they push the boundaries of biblical truth. Don't reject them because they're asking questions. The Bible can handle the questions. Jesus can handle the questions. This is not who we're talking about. We're talking about someone who says they no longer believe. They're completely opposed. They don't consider themselves a Christian. They don't believe the Bible. This is entirely different. And they might even insist they are a Christian, but they deny God's power. They only live with God on their terms. They have an imaginary God, not the God of the Bible. They have created this alternative reality. They've got the designer religion going on, and they've been led astray. And it is very fair and it is very appropriate to ask, who do they listen to? Who or what were they listening to? Jesus said, be careful what you listen to. There are people who have left or semi-left or wandered who were not wise. I mean, bad company corrupts good morals. 
And I've seen it happen. I've seen some people influence others in a negative way, even coddling their questions or fostering their unbelief and even not be held accountable in the moment. But God knows. I've seen people be mismentored by people who will face God's judgment for leading others astray. By pastors, by elders, by people in, the, in churches. And millstones are waiting. Jesus was serious. I don't want to ruin your day. I want to sober your mind because this is what the Bible does for us. Gets us in touch with reality, my friends. This is reality. Some books, some books will lead you astray. I have, I have no problem writing in my books. And if I come across one that is not good and not sound, and I don't want any of you to read it, I will write all over it and cross things out. And on the cover, there's a couple books that if you walked into my office, you'd be like, I guess, I guess Mike doesn't like this book. Well, beware, poisonous, bad for you, heresy, and all that. I don't want you walking in there going, oh, I guess it's in here, so you must agree with it. I guess the question is, we've got useless, destructive ideas that get pushed out all the time, even sometimes in the name of Christ, and it's building on a rotten foundation, and it's wrongly defining terms, and it's setting traps for people, and it's centered on man. The question would be this, how much poison is okay? And there are things that probably hit way too close to your and, and my comfort zone level that are, are, are now in the church, have been in the church for a long time, not just Grace Church, I mean the church, and they, they lead you to reject other things. Like, for example, egalitarianism versus male headship. One of the things that the church has fallen down on so badly from the 60s and 70s, but now it's rampant. It leads you to reject other doctrines when you say, oh, men and women, there's no difference. No, God designed men and women differently with different roles. And we're gonna preach what the word says about it. We're gonna practice that. But also creationism and evolution. If you're going with the trans agenda, you are denying God's creative design. So you've got things that you're like really close to the church where people... That, that say, I'm a believer, are leading people astray with. There's, it's not up for grabs. And to correct, the idea of cautiously correcting, what you, what's necessary, you have to be connecting relationally with people. You can't just go up and just blast everyone, okay? To correct, you must connect. Relationships are key. Like to refute someone, you need to relate with them. A lot of us elders, we, we read Titus 1.9 and we like the first two things and not the third thing we say, we're to do. Titus 1.9 says we're to hold firmly to the faithful word as preached and instruct in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. We're like, ah, do we have to do that one too? I mean, I don't know many bully elders and guess what? We're called to soberly do that third thing too. And the church is necessary in this process. We have to connect with people, and then if they repent, we accept that. And, but you need to correct. And if they, if they don't repent over and over and over again, you have to reject their ideas. And even at some point, it says in verse, chapter 3, verse 5, avoid such people, which is the most painful thing for us to do. But what you have to keep in mind is this, friends. They have made their choice. And they might want to blame you for their choice or blame the church for their choice or blame God for their choice, but they decided and they made a moral choice. And the sooner that they can be told that, 
the, the, maybe the, the better opportunity they might, where God might grant them repentance. They didn't want to turn from their sin. They refused to depart from evil. Uh, they'll say things like, God wasn't there for me in my time of need. Or, God didn't give me what I wanted. Or they, they might use their trauma to excuse their behavior. And by the way, all of you, you've been through trauma. Some of you have been through trauma that no one would ever want anyone to go through. But you don't use your trauma to excuse your behavior. Well, someone did this to me, therefore I'm like this all the time and I'm going to have these issues. Like this is my identity from here on out. Uh, last time I read the Bible, I'm a new creature in Christ. And some people say, no, I'm, I'm, but I'm so resentful because I didn't get the help I needed from the church. Sometimes the church doesn't help. But it's the victimhood thing. It's, it's, they, they, we all, it should be the no excuses kind of living. We should take responsibility for our choices and reject victimhood. People will say, people use scripture abusively against me. I've told you this so many times. Don't use the Bible as a battering ram, but bring it as a first aid kit. But nonetheless, people have to take responsibility for their own life at the end of the day and stop blaming others for their choices. People make choices. Now, don't take this to mean, yeah, they can, you know, go somewhere. No, no, you got to have a, a love. If the church didn't support someone in their struggle, then come closer. But every time I've heard that, people are coming close. People will say, no, God, God isn't good because he, he judges people or because there's killing in the Bible. Over and over again, these are smoke screens, friends. Augustine said it well. There's one sentence you need to write down. Augustine said this. He who denies the existence of God has some reason for wishing God did not exist. He who denies the existence of God has some reason for wishing God did not exist. Anyone I've seen leave the faith. They come up with all sorts of explanations and blaming and finger pointing. But what I've never heard is, I made a moral choice to turn from Jesus and go with my sin instead. I decided to depart from the truth. See, what happens in someone's life is the word they heard does not get united by faith, and they don't receive a love of the truth so as to be saved. And every temptation that we have to sin comes down to a moral choice. It's like your sugar craving. Every afternoon, I want sugar. It's always after lunch. It's usually between you know, 2 and 4 p.m. And if I just fight the five-minute battle, I feel healthier. Deny self the easy route. Will you trust yourself or God? I mean, you might be battling some addictions, and you're going to have to ask the question, am I going to trust God or indulge my desires? Whether it's drugs or porn or gossip or gluttony or greed or your ideas. And the same is true for the person that didn't make the choice to deny self. And the answer is right in front of us. It's repentance. Repentance is necessary, where, that, that God may grant repentance, that in his kindness he gives repentance. And if there's a person you know that is refusing to repent, they need to know the danger they're in. If you don't tell them, they're going to think they're fine. They're talking to a Christian who they expect to give them the truth. I don't think we believe it. I don't think we believe it, because if we believed it, we would practice it. I think if we believed it, more warning would happen. More humble, bold, cautious warning would happen. And to get that, you need relationships where correction can happen. That's key, where you're sincere, but when you're at, you know, accurate with the truth. 
And I, it's very appropriate. You can ask yourself, am I being too picky here? Am I being judgmental? Am I being harsh? But don't harm your conscience by not telling the truth. Don't go against your convictions by not telling the truth. Come to them humbly, not pridefully. But be bold to say and do what is necessary. I know you don't want to do it. I don't either. The general rule in my life is if I cannot wait to tell the person, I should probably wait. And if I dread telling the person, I need to tell them. And don't conclude that they're a sunk cost. Like, oh, they're a goner. You know, I'm going to cut them off from my heart. I'm going to consider them a lost cause or a waste of time. Believer, anything you do in the name of Jesus is not wasted. I think of Ezekiel 34, seeking the lost and binding up the broken and searching for the scattered. Well, what happened? What, what happens so many times when someone leaves the faith? We gossip about it. Well, you know, I saw some signs. And the judgment. Well, here's what I would say is let the sadness and the grieving in your heart over the one you love that left the faith lead you to warn them. Warning is necessary. It must be given. Like, you're on a dangerous course. I don't want this for you. You're on the Hymenaeus road. They're like, who? You're on the road to perdition. It's like the wheat and the weeds growing until the harvest where wheat will be gathered and weeds burned. You look like a weed right now, and I don't want you to be. Sometimes we fear. We we say, no, but if I say that, I'll push them further away. Just remember they already left. They weren't inching closer. Someone said a, a cousin who was in an auto accident. She was in a coma for a very long time. And she never responded. She, she passed. But when someone's in a coma, you start thinking, I see something. I see something. A little twitch. It's moving. We do that with people who've left the faith. And we go with the flimsiest of evidence. You don't have the strength you need to pull them off the ledge. The strength you need is found in the word of God. That you are to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, in his ability to turn hearts. You take up the full armor of God, take up the sword of the spirit, pray at all times. God's work is granting repentance. They're not repenting right now, though, while you and I do nothing. And I think this passage really seems to strongly indicate relationships. Relators can refute, the connected can correct. So carefully communicate the truth and cautiously confront error. Because it is so tough on your heart when it's tough to take when someone leaves the faith, isn't it? They once seemed all in with Jesus. They were reading the word. They were in the church. They, but they slowly and, and quickly sometimes even just pulled away. They were once a part of things like Hebrews 6. They were once a part of things but fell away. What do you do? You do these things, but you know what else you do? You guard your own heart, that you courageously continue in the faith. You know the Lord will rescue his people and judge his enemies. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, 
You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Look at the relationship. You saw it. My persecutions, my sufferings that happened. At Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord, out of them all, he rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And that might come in the form of someone telling you that you're the reason they turn from the faith. And if you are, repent. But you weren't the biggest reason. You continue in the truth even while evil people and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I've had people tell me, I never knew Jesus. And I'm like, but you led people to Christ. You and I need to never go against God. And we need to continue in the truth. Be on guard. This error is a slippery slope. Easy to be deceived if you're not careful. The word is sufficient. The word is powerful. It is true. You continue in the word even if others leave it. And it plays tricks on your mind. Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and been firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. Relationships there again. But you continue. It's sufficient. How from childhood, he says, Timothy, you've known the the sacred writings that are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And all scripture is breathed out by God. Inspired. Theopneustos. It's from the mouth of God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. If you're ignorant of the word today, it might be the cause of your doubts. Your fears come from Bible neglect. The Bible is a humble, bold, confidence builder in your life. I mean, dive into the last four verses. The charge to glorify God, to focus on his glory and not yours, that Christ would be exalted and the word preached accurately. Here is the commander's glory-induced command. Everything, all the chips go put on the table. Verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Now let's pile them on, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and by his kingdom, wow, there's, there's, every chip is on the table. Our sovereign God is right there. And it says, what do you do? You preach the word. You be ready in season and out of season. Well, when you leave today, Alan Weisenberg is not going to go with you. And I can't go with you. And others can't go with you. Tom Rad can't go with you. Can't go, where's the pastors and elders to do this? Randy Clark's not going to go with you. You're going to go out into the realms. You're going to walk, drive 50 miles somewhere. And you're going to have the word with you, believer. And it says that you are to to reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. You wield the sword of the Spirit with strong fervor. You always bring the truth. You hope for conviction of sin. It says in verse 3, the time is coming. And by the way, it's now here. When people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears, will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And itching ears will not have the last word. God is not unaware. He will have the final word. I love chapter 4, verse 18. The Lord Jesus will rescue me from every evil deed. And bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Those leaving the faith, they're going to hear a fiery two-edged sword coming out of Jesus' mouth. You continue in the faith. People tell you, no, 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 to reach people, you have to, you know, 
Rethink the church and rethink the Bible. Rethink it according to the time in which you live. That breeds consumers. You know, you follow the eternal word with a heart to reach people with the gospel and you point them to Christ. What does he say in verse five? As for you, as for you, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, even if it's not your primary gift. You do that work and fulfill your ministry. The world needs to see and hear the word of God lived out by the church. We need to live what we say we believe and we need to give it with our, with our words. We need to have people say of us like they said in Acts 17, 6, those who turn the world upside down have come here too. Yeah, I went to your office and your school and your neighborhood. I mean, John was banished to the Isle of Patmos. Why? For the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I want to be in league with John. Do you want to too? You want to get banished because of the word and the testimony? I have an optometrist friend. He's an eye doctor. Got me these glasses. And he recently said to me, it's a funny thing, but to everybody who knows I'm an optometrist, I'm a walking reminder that people need to get their eyes checked. If you're a Christian, what are you a walking reminder of? Like, who even knows you're a believer, and would they believe you if you told them? The truth is going to attract and repel. The word is powerful. It alone has the power to save a soul and transform a life. And you know, you know this. You know you need lots of Bible to deal with things. So give people the Bible. Give them the word. If you've upset the faith of some by swerving from the truth and not repented, that's you today. Maybe you just don't know Christ. Turn to Christ. Substitute for sin. who Shed his blood. For lost sinners like you and me. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He said, if the son will set you free, you shall be free indeed. You need to receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Believe the gospel and you will be saved. Trust in Jesus Christ. Be changed by the truth. I've come to a conclusion that there should be greater rescue efforts on my part and on the part of the church, on every believer much more exertion on the part of believers for rescue efforts, for the wandering, for the prodigals, for those who have left the faith, the rescue attempts. This is the call to the church to go after them. If someone fell in a river, you'd jump in after them. You wouldn't say, hey, I hope you can swim. If someone's held captive, you go on with special ops and say, I'm taking no prisoners. A soft approach just seldom seems to work. I mean, if you do the soft approach, let me ask you a question. How is what you're doing now working for you? I'm calling the church to a process of praying for and warning and going after prodigals. That you would take the risk as long as it takes. I mean, what would you do if someone was about to fall off a ledge and plunge hundreds of feet to their death? You would lunge. You would reach with all your might. Pray for prodigals, warn them, go after them. The other day I had to go to Los Angeles International Airport twice. Back and forth, back and forth. Drove like five hours. Uh, family flights were canceled for a couple family members and 
Second trip, epic traffic jam at the airport. I could see where my family was on Fine Friends, but I could not get to them, and they could not get to me. You got to find your friends. You got to go after your friends. Are they on your map? Are they showing up? There are times, I know there are times to avoid hurtful people and toxic people and all of that, but most of the time, we need to engage, engage far, far more in a bold battle for souls. If you love them, don't leave them. Not until you've done everything to help them. The other day I was driving home. I saw a man laid out on the side of the freeway. Shirt was off. He was just out there like this, laying on the ground with four emergency personnel all around him, trying to resuscitate him. And their job wouldn't let them leave him lying there. Neither will ours for those we love who've left the faith. And Lord, we praise you and thank you that you're the one who opens hearts to the word preached and you draw people to Christ and you tenderize hearts and you smash idols. And so we leave the results in your hands. Even though we know who has strayed, we pray, Lord, that you would help us be a rescue team with recovery efforts that carefully communicate your truth and confront error humbly and that we would continue in the faith. We care so much. We were once lost in running from you. And we know, Lord, that for those who turn to you, there is new life, there is forgiveness, there is joy. And thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? And we're going to close singing one song together, Glorious. Earthly mind would dare invent a substitute from heaven sent the land to pay for sin and take the guilt, though innocent divine blood spilled the lamb, lamb of God. Glorious over us, you shall reign glorious. No greater thought can be conceived than what you did to purchase me, O oh Sin despair and Satan's spell, righteous wrath, eternal hell. Oh Lord, oh Lord, glorious over us, you shall
as you're praying for prodigals and as you're going after them lovingly, uh, we want to pray with you and confidentially pray with you. There's a QR code on your chair back. Uh, and if you're on the live stream, uh, I've heard that there's a link you can hit. If that doesn't work somehow, you can email us or call us. But where you can give the names of those you're praying for, it will be kept confidential between our elders and pastors. But we would like to pray with you as you pray for prodigals and trust God in that whole process. Uh, missions course is starting the 19th of this month, men's and women's retreats, a whole bunch of other things. I want to thank you also as a church for sacrificially and generously giving. I want to encourage you to keep doing that as part of your worship. I also want to ask you to pray for Go With Grace, our building project on the field house, uh, that we would get through the city to build what we have over there in the corner that's already ready to build. Uh, we want to deepen our ministries, develop our property, and deploy resources for the kingdom. And today, we want to be praying for prodigals. And don't stop. Don't stop doing that. As we close, I want to read Jude 24 and 25 and then pray, Lord. Uh, we'll pray to the Lord after that. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We'd sing and pray and hear the word. And now, as we go, send us by your grace and for your glory to do your work. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor, 